Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 160th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms and Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Before we jump into the episode, I want to talk about Chapter 9 from my upcoming book that will be released into the world May 3rd, just in time for Mother's Day, Dial Up the Dream. So Chapter 9 is called The Second Draft. So let me put that in context. Chapter 8 was on the mom crisis. The mom crisis happens when you have more time and space to think about your life because your son or daughter is more independent. When you're in mom crisis, often what comes up first is all the doubt, the disappointments, the second guessing, and resentments. You think, after all the time and effort I've invested into my son or daughter for the past two decades, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was I a good mom? Or was I a bad mom? Did it even matter? You think, I thought my daughter would appreciate me by now. And then all the now what questions comes up. What am I going to do now? Questions like, if I hadn't quit my career to raise my kids, where would I be now? And you feel lost in all these feelings. Now we are going to make this useful. This is where the second draft comes in. Let me ask you this. How many of you spent time thinking about your mothering story? You may think, what are you talking about? Okay, how do you feel about the 13 to 20 years that you have invested in your kids? This is the mothering story. It could be conscious or unconscious. One way to tap into the mothering story is what is the story you are telling yourself about these mothering years? This chapter nine is really important to me, and here's why. I think most moms don't have a positive or constructive story about their mothering, or it's not conscious. You may have feelings about it, but you don't intentionally think about it. This is why I wrote chapter nine. It walks you through a process step by step and helps you to discover that second draft of your mothering story. In contrast to the first draft, the second draft makes you feel like this was worth it. And I'm a rock star. This was really hard and challenging at times or in seasons, but I persevered and have come out stronger because of it. Discovering your second draft is so important. And here's a big reason why. Is that often as mothers, we don't feel seen or appreciated. 
The sad thing is that we don't even appreciate ourselves, which is why this chapter is so crucial. Listen closely, moms. If no one appreciates you, you can still appreciate yourself. The second draft is important because it's true. You're going to see how many hats you wore and how many things you had to manage in a day. You're going to see the real skills you developed from being a mom and how even the hard things have helped sharpen you and helped you grow emotionally. The second draft debunks the big myth that you haven't done any work or gained any marketable skills in the last 20 years. It frees you from any leftover mother shame or trauma. It helps you own all of your heroine's journey. You've traveled dark and treacherous terrain and have come through it loaded with gold. It gives you peace and contentment knowing that everything you did mattered. It gives you a humble and embodied confidence and knowledge. It expands your heart and compassion for others. All right, let's move on. Okay, I have a great guest for you today. I had so much fun talking to Carrie. She definitely has had to live her talk. She has four teenage daughters. I know you will enjoy, relate, and be encouraged by our conversation. Carrie Kampakis is an author, speaker, and podcaster from Birmingham, Alabama. Her newest book, which we're going to talk about in this episode, is More Than a Mom, How Prioritizing Your Wellness Helps You and Your Family Thrive. Her book was just released on April 5th, 2022. Her other books, Love Her Well, 10 Ways to Find Joy and Connection with Your Teenage Daughter, 10 Ultimate Truths Girls Should Know, and Liked, Whose Approval Are You Living For?, have been used widely across the country for small group studies. Carrie's work has been featured on today's show, Today Parents, Focus on the Family, Carrie and I were both featured on Bethany Hamilton's Mother-Daughter Experience. Carrie also hosts the Girl Mom podcast. Carrie and her husband, Harry, have four daughters and a dog named Lola. So welcome, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Colleen. I'm so glad. And this is your second time to visit. How are your parenting? And I'm so glad. And the question I ask all my guests is, do you have kids and what are their ages? I do. I have four daughters. And the oldest one is a freshman in college. And then the second daughter is a junior in high school and then a freshman in high school and then a sixth grader. Wow. Yes. (laughs) They keep me busy. (laughs) Wow. And you have a new book that just came out Tuesday, right? Right. And it's so exciting. And it's called More Than a Mom, How Prioritizing Your Wellness Helps You and Your Family Thrive. So I'm going to ask you the obvious question which is, why did you write this book? That is a great question. And, you know, I I joke that I'm not sure if I would have written this book five years ago, but I think it's the season of parenting that I'm in and just what I've learned over 20 years of parenting and also through the work that I do with mothers and teenage girls. But I wrote that book. It was in the middle of the pandemic. I had just released Love Her Well for Moms of Teenage Girls. And my editors and I were starting to talk about the next book. And they wanted a parenting book. 
and at the time I was taking lots of walks with my friends. We were just processing, you know, the quarantine and COVID and just all the hard things moms were dealing with and going through and families too. And I was like, you know, I really think we need something just for moms. And they're like, okay, but your platform is parenting. And I was like, I know, but every mom I know is struggling. And if we're not in a good place personally, it's going to affect our parenting. And that's what's happening. And I was feeling it as much as anybody else. And so that was really our starting point. And, and one thing they really emphasized, and a friend of mine had suggest, suggested the same thing was, okay, so let's talk about how what's important for moms to do as far as taking care of our wellness and prioritizing our wellness. But just as importantly, as we do that, what are we modeling for our children? And how do, how is it going to impact? impact our parenting and maybe the decisions they make as they become adults. So that was one tie-in we really wanted to have in the book. And so at the end of each chapter, we have like, you know, what practicing rest models for your child. And I have a real life illustration of a mom that, you know, some kind of story of not resting and what happened when she didn't rest and why she's made that a priority for her children. Yeah. And I think wellness is foundational for parenting. I don't see it separate at all. I don't either. I don't, especially I think as you get into parenting, you know, when you've been doing it 10 or 15 or 20 years and you're also older, you know, I'm like, I'm yeah. not a spring chicken anymore. I'm, I'm 20 years older than when I started and my body is dictating what I can and can't do. And a lot of us have health issues or other things we're dealing with. And so we can't do things that we might've done when we were younger, like run on four hours of sleep or just push ourselves, you know, just, you know, grind it all day long. I mean, I've really had to force myself to put more pockets of rest in there to maybe be okay with accomplishing a little bit less each day. And it goes against the grain of our society. And I think what we think we're supposed to be as parents, but I do think if we want to be in this for the long term, it's going to keep us healthier. Yeah. So I know that writing a book, I know from my experience is you live the book and then you write the book and you live the book and you write the book. And sometimes it's an intense process. So how did writing more than a mom change you? It does. I think it's just made me so much more aware of what I was doing that maybe wasn't healthy. You know, I think it's just a lot of little things. And I think that I realized what some things that I was doing that maybe weren't healthy habits so that were holding me back. And it's really opened my eyes as I hear about feedback from readers, because probably the number one thing I'm hearing is these moms are like, you know, I've been doing that and I didn't even realize that I'm doing that. And it could be I'm making my kids eat protein in the healthy breakfast, yet I'm eating these protein bars on the run. So it did change me in that way. And I think also, you know, I look back and I think, you know, why did I fall into some of the bad habits, like not prioritizing my wellness? And I think that I think as a lot of times we start in survival mode for as moms and especially when my kids were little. I mean, I was just trying to keep them alive every day. You know, and I just feel like it felt like a success at the end of the day if they were all healthy and well and in bed. But um, I think that sometimes I just got into some bad habits. Like I said, not necessarily eating well or taking care of myself or not getting enough sleep because it just felt like that's what that season called for. But then I didn't really outgrow that season. I didn't really try to, you know, pivot my habits afterward. I think another big change that I've made is because I think with four girls personally, I had to be all in, you know, I was like, this is my path. This is my lane. And my personality is if I do something, I want to do it 150%, which has a downside and upside too. But I think that I, you know, was, I felt prone to, you know, creating, I guess more that mentality of worshiping motherhood rather than worshiping the one who created motherhood. 
And so I, I think I started realizing my mistake as my girls grew up and they became teenagers. And, you know, when your kids are little, you're the center of their universe. And as moms, it's so easy to make them the center of our universe. And I had done that sometimes even, you know, sacrificing my friendships, my time with my friends or, or my husband to do things for my kids. I wasn't, I didn't have the energy for these other relationships because I was pouring so much into that job. But then as they grew up, as they became teenagers and they started to have a life of their own, and I was no longer the center of their universe yet, they were the center of mine. I started realizing like, uh, uh, you know, it kind of made me panic and I, I wanted to get clingy. And that's really what led me to write Love Her Well, because I had to learn how to, to parent my teenage daughter, but also love her, but give her that space to become an independent young adult. And, you know, my instinct at first was like to pull them back and to get clingy and to not want things to change. And what I had to learn as a mom was like, no, this is healthy. This is good. And as I've relinquished some of that control and as I try to become a parent where I'm available for my daughters, I'm always there and I'm still parenting them, but I'm not relying on them for my joy. I'm not relying on them, you know, living for their attention. I also have a bigger life, you know, things that um, fulfill me, you know, whether it's my, my marriage or my friendships, my job, other things like that. It creates a healthier mom and it makes them want to have a relationship with you because they don't feel that pressure of you finding your identity in them and getting your joy just from them. Yeah. So much wisdom in what you said, that clinginess, I think probably every mom out there can relate to that. And it's panicky when they start pulling back and you're right in terms of it's so tempting to have your identity based on being a mom and how your kids react to you. For sure. Yes. So I love this quote that's in your book. And I think a lot of moms can relate to this. And so well said, Even mothers who hit all the marks may not be well or on a good path. For this reason, we need to talk about a mom's inner life. We need safe places to process our struggles and needs, friends who listen and empathize, and healthy conversations that move us forward so we can genuinely thrive. Yes. (laughs) Again, a lesson learned personally the hard way is just, and I think the pandemic made a lot of us realize that we just felt kind of empty inside. And so I just think it's so easy, especially when you're doers, like most moms are, and we can just Mm -hmm. stay with our head down doing our job, but we're never lifting our eyes up. And, you know, just, you feel like a robot or productivity machine and you're just getting it done. And meanwhile, you know, what is that doing to your soul? So you might be hitting all the marks. You might even look like a rock star mom to other people, but if you're feeling empty inside and you're not filling yourself up with things that fulfill you, then you're going to have some kind of wake up call at some point. And I say it might be a breakdown or exhaustion or anxiety or depression or anger. It's going to come out in some form because nobody can live like that long term. Right, right. And it's just so true. What you say is like, we feel besides that survival thing, but I also think there is, it's the perfectionistic culture that we want to hit the marks so that we won't be judged so that we will feel like we're being a good mom. Yes. And so we think that's the most important thing. And so we end up feeling like martyrs, like we just sacrifice. And I think especially Christian women, we think that's a really great thing. And I heard this great quote that our daughters need models, not martyrs. Yes. I love that. Yeah. It's so true. And you probably can testify to this. That really hits home as your daughters become teenagers and young adults, because in the season that I'm in, I'm thinking about my daughters hope, you know, if they get married one day and if they have children, like, how do I want them to feel as a mom? I'm like, Mm -hmm. I would not want them to think their identity is based on 
being a mother, you know, that's definitely a huge part of their identity, but their core identity is being a child of God and being worthy of care. And, and it's actually healthy for your children to see that. And, um, and I agree with perfection. I just, I don't think we're doing our kids any, any favor thinking that perfection is the goal in life because none of us are perfect. And, you know, I hear a lot of, I think with teenagers already, they just, that's all they see on social media all around them. And um, I just always think about this 17 year old girl. And I share the story in the book that comes from a great family. And she was on this Christian retreat with her parents and they were having this heart to heart talk. And she just burst into tears in front of them. And she's very close with her parents, but she was like, you two are just so perfect. And I feel like I can never measure up. And they were heartbroken because they're just good people. They weren't trying to portray an image of being perfect. But I do think as parents, especially when we are trying to be good role models, we think that, you know, we don't want them to see our flaws or our weaknesses. And so I try to be very vocal with my daughters. Like, y'all, I'm struggling with anxiety right now, or I am so sad after my mom passed away. And just, just trying to be open about those pieces of our humanity. And I'm not saying go dump our big adult problems on them because those are the things we need to take to other adults or to our therapist or other people who can help them with through it. But I do think it's healthy for them to see it, see that we're humans too. We mess up and we have to practice that self-compassion and that self-grace. And they're definitely not getting that, that message from the world because the world is just no mercy as we're seeing with cancel culture and people, you know, just write people off. So that's, and that's unforgivable. And I was like, that's not a message I will ever tell my children because I know they're going to mess up. I know they're going to make mistakes, but I don't ever want them to think they're defined by that one mistake, that there's always hope, especially through Christ. And to um, just really make that, that faith message a core part of their identity and yeah. know that um, we're all a work in progress. And I just think that's so much of a healthier way to live, not only for us as parents, but also what we're modeling for our children. Absolutely. I had a client, the daughter who said to her mom in one of my sessions, like, you just think you're so perfect. And that wasn't a compliment. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I think that's because she felt judged. If moms, we think we have to be perfect, then we are wanting our daughters to be perfect. And they feel that. Right. Yes. And, and so I made that mistake. I feel like mm-hmm. having four daughters, I, I'm speaking from experience here because I'm a perfectionist by nature. And I lived a lot of my life with that mentality. But the problem with that is one, it's going to make you lack humility. And two, it's not going to make you very self-aware because you can't handle those human pieces of yourself. You can't handle admitting your weaknesses. You can't ask somebody for forgiveness because you don't want to admit you're wrong. And I really had to relearn a lot of that when I started, my kids grew up because I thought I had to be this perfect role model for these four little girls. And as you know, I mean, teenagers will call you out. Like they know we're not perfect, you know, like you can't fool them. And so if you try to act like you're perfect, if you're not admitting your mistakes, it's going to create a huge gulf in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And I experienced that. And that's one reason I wrote my last book, Love Her Well, because I was so prideful and so unwilling to admit those things about myself that I needed to work on. That, that really was the root issue, not really my daughter's teenage behavior, but what I was doing as a mom. And it changed everything once I was willing to make that step and to work on myself to restore our relationship. Right. So in my new book that's coming up, which you know, is there's a verse that says, just like a grinding wheel, so does one person sharpen another. I love that. And I think that is so true. I think a lot of times we are sharpening our daughters or our teens, but just like you said so well, they sharpen us and it's, that's not fun. I can tell you that is not a fun process. And every time my daughter sharpens me, I want to, how dare you, how you, I get all ruffled about it, but then 
it does take humility to step aside and go, you know what? She's right. 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 It's no fun. No. But we become better people. Yes. When we do that. Yes. And it can totally change your relationship with your child and totally deepen it because they they trust you now. <laughs> they there's not that gulf between you because you're you're being honest and they appreciate that honesty. And as oh, we know, yeah, like teenagers sure. and they're so forgiving. I mean, that's that's what I was so surprised to find with my daughters. Like you apologize. I mean, they're so for, much more forgiving, sometimes more so than adults, but we've got to be those adults who are willing to admit when we mess up. And it does inspire them to maybe look at themselves too. And, and I always think about like, okay, I want my kids to have healthy relationships too. So I think, you know, what better place to learn these, these tools than in the mother child relationship, because they're not going to lose our love. If they lash out, we're going to work through it. And so, you know, I've read somewhere that um, I think it was America's top couples therapist, John Gottman. He once said that the number one key to a healthy marriage or a marriage that will last is healthy conflict resolution and how well two people can work through their conflicts. And so I just started thinking, you know, if we can teach our daughters this skill in our relationship, that's a safe place to practice this skill. It's going to help them in their marriage. It's going to help them in their future friendships. It's going to help them in their work relationships, every relationship they have, because there's conflict. You're friends with anybody or you're living with somebody for long enough, then you're going to have conflict. And so it's really how well can you work through that conflict and learn from it and grow from it and come out better on the other side. Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think the unforgivable sin for a teenager, like you said, is they call you out, is when we don't admit something. Yes, yes. They like, because I've talked to several girls this week that I'm counseling and they try to talk to their moms and they won't own some stuff. And that is where the walls build up and that's where they distance and that's where they think, I'm never coming home when I go to college. But that same girl, when her mom owns something, it's gone. You're right. They quickly forgive. Yes. Yes. And you know, you might, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I I, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, why do we do that? Because I've been guilty of that, especially before I was aware that I was doing it, like not admitting what was wrong. And I think a lot of it comes when we find our identity in motherhood, because if I'm finding my identity in my child and they're sitting there telling me I'm doing something wrong, then all of a sudden they're they're triggering my deepest fear that I don't want to admit, but my fear is that I'm not a good mom or that mm-hmm. I, I've scarred my children. Like that's the fear that every mom is walking around with. I'm going to mm-hmm. ruin their life. Mm-hmm. And so if we are finding our identity in them and then we hear something that's not pleasant about ourselves, it's threatening our identity. And I think that's why it's so important to find our identity in something bigger than our children to not put that pressure there. Because if we're finding our identity as a child of God, then, you know, we're like, oh, you know, you're right. I am doing this. And it makes it so much easier to, to work through that and to not take it so personally and to know that that's normal. You know, we're all human. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes and to, just to normalize that more. But I do think that it happens when we're finding our identity in our children, then it totally shakes our foundation of who we are or who we want to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just to add to that, it's because we feel shame. We go into mother shame. Yes, yes. And we, we go into yes. mother shame, then we quickly react. We go into the stress response. And often we go into fight and we, we yes. go into judging them. Yes. And it's, a lot of this is really unconscious, I think. Yes, I agree. We, we feel like we're in survival. And so we just lash out. Right. So it's very understandable, moms, that you would do that. And this book is really helpful and just in a very gentle way of looking at those 
inner places of you. So another thing you, you talk about to mother yourself. So can you talk about what do you mean by that? Yes, I um, I guess I've really realized this as my mom became sick. This was several years ago. My mom passed away two years ago, but then the four years before that, she was sick and really had a lot of health issues of her own. And it occurred to me, that, you know, as our kids get older, we've really got to mother ourselves because that's been the heartbreaking thing about the last 10 years that my friends and I have been through is that we're losing our parents and we're losing that generation that raised us. And we're like, whoa, you know, now we've got to step up and be the adults. And there's nobody there mothering us. And I never thought I would say this, but like, you know, when I have a cold or I'm sick, I miss my mom nagging me. I miss I miss her telling me, <laughs> go to the doctor, you know. And even when I'm nagging my kids about something, they're like, oh, mom, just quit nagging me about this cold or whatever. And I'm like, you're going to miss it one day. I promise you. But I think especially as we lose that generation that mothered us or that fathered us, that we've got to look out for our own well-being because especially when you're raising kids. I mean, you know, teenagers are naturally, they're thinking about themselves a lot. They're not thinking about their parents. I know I wasn't at that age. They're not thinking about our health and our wellness. And so you might not have anybody else doing that. And also, I think a lot of times the ways that we're not totally healthy are internal. And so, like we said, it's something you can't see on the outside. And it might be we're dealing with anxiety or trauma from the past, which we now know trauma can be a comment that somebody made to you in second grade, but it really shaped your identity and your self-image. And, you know, these things are affecting us internally, but yet nobody knows it. And so I think that we've really got to mother ourselves like, OK, if this was a friend or if this was my child, what would I do? What I said, say you need to carve out some time for yourself to go see a counselor, to get yourself on a healthy path, to practice these things, to restore yourself, to, you know, spend time with God, to have some quiet time, really just understand the truth of who you are and just who he created you to be. Yeah. But I, I don't think the world is, is telling us that as moms because we're everybody's just looking at the external version of how we're hitting the marks and we don't always see what's going on internally. Right. And truth be told, they want us to produce. Our families want us to produce. They're yes. not really wanting us to sit back and journal. Right. They want us to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> they want us to go do all their errands for them and cook and clean and keep everything running. So if you're waiting for permission, you're going to wait a long time. Yes. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. I have a friend that she always jokes. She's like, the mothership cannot go down. I was like, I know. Like, I think that's how we live. Like, we're like, we all know what happens when moms, you know, if we're out yeah. of the picture, it just things kind of get chaotic. Yes. Things yes. fall through the cracks. I mean, mom, women are amazing and we don't get enough credit just the way we can multitask and juggle a lot of competing things. And our family doesn't want that disrupted. And I don't think it has to be as we're taking out time for ourselves, but you know, we can't stay in that mode forever. We can't, we're not robots. We're not superhumans. You know, we are human beings and we've got to, you know, we've got to take care of our bodies and our minds and our souls, just like everybody else. Yeah. So you talk about safe places for moms to process their struggles and friends who listen and empathize and, and healthy conversations that move us forward. So why is this true? And where can moms find these safe places? Yes. It's, it's funny. Somebody asked me a similar question on a podcast the other day is just finding those friends you can trust. And I do think that that's one of the biggest struggles for, for moms, especially as your kids grow up. You know, I think that when my kids were little, I could talk to anybody. You could talk to any mom. Like I'm, I'm struggling with potty training or breastfeeding right. or whatever. And somebody, you could always find somebody easily. You could share their problems. My child did this in Target. You know, like you could share these things freely and then as your kids get older, you've got to protect their privacy and you've got to be more careful. So 
I don't know. I think just with friendships and finding those that that safe places to one know that it's different. I think when you're little, your play group might be 20 moms. You know, that might be your village. And then as your kids get older, a mom ahead of me once told me that your team gets smaller. You know, you kind of you kind of tighten the reins. Not to say you're not kind and friendly to everybody, but your innermost circle is going to get smaller. I've also thought like I've called my priest before for parenting advice. Like, can you help me think through this? And they always give great, he gives great advice. But also just knowing with moms, I think if you spend enough time with people, and sometimes this is done before you really need it, but just kind of figuring out who you can trust. Like if there's a mom that you love, she's fun. She's a great person to go to dinner with, but she's always telling you somebody else's secrets then she's probably going to tell your secrets to other people too. Right. So, but if there's a mom that, you know, she's very careful and guarded about even what she'll share with you about somebody that's open up to her, that kind of clues you in. Like she might be a safe person to talk to. Um, I also have found that the older my kids get, I'm like, I really need people who share my values and my perspective and my goals as a parent. It didn't seem as important when the kids were little, but I think that who you go to for advice, it's going to determine what kind of advice you get. And you could ask the same question to five different people and get five different words of advice. And so I really try to think about, okay, this, this is my friend and my friend Jennifer just has the best hat on her shoulders. Like she is so logical. She reminds me a lot of my dad. I can call her and tell her the problem or situation. And she'll give me that one liner, like just something. She just sums it up. And I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You've given me some clarity of how to move forward. So I don't know. And I, I feel like with my kids, with each child, I have like a little group of moms. That's kind of my, that they're kind of my, my board <laughs> with that child. I know they love my child. They're not going to think poorly of them if I share something because they do love them. If anything, they'll be like, oh, don't be so hard on her. Or, you know, I, I love her. You know, that's, you know, she'll get through this. But I, I tend to have people that, you know, really love my child and that, like I said, I just that I know I can trust and that I call the steel vault friend, which can be a little difficult to find. But I think sometimes you can test them too. test all those friends with little nuggets and see if they're trustworthy there to maybe see if they might be trustworthy with something bigger. It's good wisdom. Yeah, because there's a lot of moms that are super judgy. Yes, yes. And they would maybe act compassionate, but they're really kind of glad to be, you know, I don't know, they might not have their heart in the right place. So, yeah. I mean, they may be secretly happy that your child didn't do so well. Right. Right. And I, I mean, I thank God for my sister because my sister were really close and she was my person. Like if I was in a situation that just felt really hard or horrible, she was my person. Yeah. And she was someone I trusted and we prayed and we, she was my prayer person. So yes. if it's, it's super intense, it's like a smaller group. Yes. But I do think, yeah, I think you have to have some wisdom in terms of what you share with people, unfortunately. Yes. And I do think, too, that and this might I don't know if your sister lives in town, but, you know, I have some even some friends out of town. And sometimes if there's an issue in a group and the moms I might normally talk to are are involved in that. And I'm trying to think through how we should respond. I find that some of my old friends from college or just people that live in other cities are a good resource. And it never fails. And I call them for some advice. They've also got something going on in their circle that they need advice from me too. And it's just kind of nice to have somebody that's outside your typical, your daily world. That's not yeah, going that's to be a good there. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My sister, yeah. My sister lives in another city too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of nice sometimes to have that distance. Yeah. And, and I, I found this too. I think that moms have this idea that you need your team, you need your village. It needs to be all the moms who go to the same school your kids do. Like they have to match up exactly where you are. But the older I get, I'm like, you can find friendships anywhere and just really look more for the, the heart of the person. And I mean, I've made friends, I'm picking up a cake a, a year ago. I mean, just at the bakery, she, her dad owns the bakery and we got to be friends, got to talk. And I mean, you know, it's like, you can make these friends anywhere, or it might be 
a, a woman at your church who's 10 years ahead of you or, you know, next door neighbor who's suddenly an empty nester and she's got more time on her hands, but just really being open to where you can find friendships. And instead of you need your, I know we need our age and stage friends, but also being open to other friendships and other people who can speak wisdom into your life, or it might be somebody younger even, um, but just being open to looking outside your, your normal circle, just to people you trust and that people you respect and who you think gives good advice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're a mom of a senior in high school and you're all like holding your breath on where everyone's going to college, that may not be the person that you share with. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's so true. Oh, okay. So anxiety is a huge problem for our daughters and teens, but it's also a huge problem for us moms. So can our anxiety make our teens' anxiety worse? And how can you parent from a place of calm? Yes, I think it definitely does. And um, that's something I've had to really recognize in myself is just my own anxiety and how quickly my mind can go to a worst case scenario. I mean, here's an exact two weeks ago, we were in church and my 15 year old daughter was driving a different car with my husband, taking them to church. And so three of us were sitting there and I, I was kind of like waiting for them to come. And I knew, I knew they were behind us, but I kind of thought, okay, they should be here by now. So anyway, a few minutes passed after that. And I was like, they really should be here. And it was like five or seven minutes. And then I started panicking and I'm like, you know, I looked at my phone and didn't see any text messages. And I'm thinking, Oh, my, they're, you know, they're in a curb, they're in a ditch. My husband can't text me. I mean, I'm like, my mind is going to these worst case scenarios. And I used to just accept that, that that's just who I am. And now I realize, okay, like I've got to work on this. Like my mind automatically jumps to those anxious places where I'm not thinking rationally, I'm thinking emotionally, and it can happen in a split second. And so um, I do think that we've, we've got to do that for our children just to model that. And one of my favorite analogies I heard recently, it was a counselor friend, and, and she was saying that, I think it's called the circle of security. But it's basically that we are called to be kinder, wiser, and stronger as moms, as parents. That's our goal is to be stronger, kinder, and wiser than our children. And so say your daughter's about to go get on the emotional roller coaster. You know, what, what we should say is like, I mean, mentally at least, is that, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get on that roller coaster with you, but I'm going to be standing here with my arms wide open when you're ready to get off. And so for me, I was like, oh, that is so good. That just gives me an, a vision of the kind of mom I want to be. I might not be there today, but that's my goal is to be that mom that when she's getting frantic and I'll panic, I can stay calm and see that big picture. And as I started thinking about that analogy and that quote, it reminded me of my dad. I mean, he's 85 and he's still that person for me. I mean, mm. when I'm panicking, when I'm in that amygdala mode, fight or flight, just, oh, you know, shaken, I can call him and he's always calm. He does not get thrown off by anything that's mm. going on in our life. He really has that big picture perspective and it, and it brings me down. It diffuses the situation. And he always gives me some little nugget that just reframes my, my perspective of the situation and I think, you know, that's how I want to be for my kids. And I think that's the best gift we can give our kids as they grow older and also be that phone call that they make when they are panicked or they are facing something big because they know that we're not going to make their anxiety worse. Yes, that's so true. And what a gift when you are that calm person. That's such a gift to people. Last week's podcast was the importance of staying grounded. And what I was thinking about when I was writing it is, it's like super hard for moms to stay grounded because everyone is calling our names like mom, 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 mom. Right. <laughs> right. And then I said, we don't put staying grounded on the top of our to-do list. Right. And it doesn't happen naturally if we don't. 
It doesn't. And I think if we are not grounded, we are anxious. Yes. We just start spinning with everything. And so I can do anxiety really well myself. I can do that very well. And I had a little tiff with my daughter not too long ago. And it really was because I was not grounded. Mm -hmm. And so I was irritated that she pointed that out, but she was right. And she gave me a huge gift. And like, I am super committed to having practices in place twice a day so that I stay grounded. What do you do to help yourself stay in that place? For me, it's going deep, a meditation. And so I really can listen from that deep place. Yes. And it takes a while. Like I don't just close my eyes and feel chill. Yes. Well, and that reminds me, I, I believe in that too. And I have a friend and he has one of the neatest jobs. They do investment banking. And so they invest in these companies before they go public in the hopes that they will go public. But he meets all kinds of amazing CEOs and entrepreneurs and people who've done very well. And he's one of those people that likes to do opinion polls and takes polls of people. So he's like, I decided to ask all my, the most successful men that I've met and women too, you know, what's, what's their secret? You know, what do they think contributes to their success? And he said, the number one thing that he heard was that several of them said that they meditate several times a day. And they said it might only be for five minutes at a time, but he was like, you know, when you meditate, it takes you out of the amygdala mode back to the prefrontal cortex. It takes you out of the ir- irrational thinking back to that big picture thinking. Yes. And, um, and I, so I've started doing that. And I started thinking, you know what? I think I might live in amygdala mode as a mom. You know? <laughs> and it's so easy to stay caught up in that fight, flight or freeze, you know, and you're like, everything right. seems like an emergency and it's not. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes yes. we do just need and sometimes it's just five minutes. Just kind of sit and just remember the big picture. And you're like, yes. OK, it's really not as urgent as you think it is. This is not yeah. as, as, as as big of a deal as it seems to be right now. Yeah. Um, John Eldridge talks about, he calls it benevolent detachment. And it's, and this is what I'm practicing, where you're sitting there, you're just saying, I give everything and everyone to you. Mm, I love that. And you just keep saying it over again. And and he his that. point is, you can pick it all up in 10 minutes. So this is what that looks like for me is I'll say, I give everyone everything to you. And then I start worrying about something. Oh, there, there it is. Right. So I give my daughter to you. And then I worry about something else. Okay. I give this to you. And then I go, I give, oh, you know, I'm really stressed out. Okay. I give my stress to you. Yes. And I just keep giving it over and over until I can start to feel my body calm down. And that's where I find my peace. Yes. I agree. I agree completely. There, there's, it reminds me of a girl I heard, heard speak one time and she was a high school student telling the middle school students why she loved going to Wednesday night youth group. And just the analogy she gave, she goes, I feel like when I enter the church doors, she goes, I feel like I leave it all at the front door. It's almost like you're taking off your burdens and your worries like a backpack. And we have a group this week and a group of girls, we're going to kind of do a Bible verse and they're going to do art with that type of imagery of a church. And, but I was like, that's so true that just go into that, that quiet place. It's like, but just unload it, you know, all the things weighing you down, forget it, unload it, leave it at the front door and then just go inside and just have that quiet time that we don't give our, we don't allow ourselves to have, but just that quiet time where we can feel peace and feel that restoration that we're craving so much. Yes. Yes. A neuroscientist says that sleep is to the body as downtime is to the brain. Oh, that's good. I love that. Yeah. We are missing downtime in our culture, that space. We're missing space. So we are not going to be healthy. We're going to be super anxious if we don't have that space. 
And so a lot of times what we have right now is if we have five minutes, we all pick up our phones. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's more input. That's not space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so, and that reminds me, I remember talking to this ACT coach my, my daughter was doing years ago and, and he talked about how when you're driving, he's like, he, he was, he teaches a speed reading class and he goes, mm-hmm. speed reading is a lot like driving in the rain. Like you have to concentrate, you have to really focus. It's like, you can't think about anything else. You've got to be hyper-focused on the road or what you're doing. And somebody said, but imagine when you're driving on an old country road, when you're not having to focus, that's when your mind wanders. That's when you get creative. And, and I started thinking that's so true. Like when I do road trips and I'm just, you know, straight on the highway for two hours, that's when I'm feeling my mind relax, get creative. I'm not hyper-focused on something, but we don't give ourselves that opportunity too often. Right. And, um, and I do think, and we're not feeling that creativity and just those, those things that make us us and that really help restore us internally. Yeah. All right. So we're so many things. So how do you parent from influence and not parent through power? Or what do you mean by that? What I mean is I heard that years ago and it's so true. You know, somebody said that the older your kids get, the more you parent through influence rather than power. And you say this a lot. You can take friendships, for example, you know, that when our kids are little, you know, and you see you can engineer their friendships. And some people go to an extreme doing that. Like, you can kind of engineer their friendships. You want your kids to be friends with your friend's kids or whatever. You have a little bit of control, more control of your kids' lives. But as your kids get older, the middle school years or teenage years, high school years, they have their freedom and they get to choose their own friends. You can't orchestrate like you used to. And that's why, you know, it's hit me. I was like, this is why values matter so much because mm-hmm. those values they, they pick up when they're little, that's going to determine what friend group they want to be in or what friendships they want to have. And parents don't have that power anymore. We've got more of an influence. And so it's, it really just goes back to being a good role model. Like, okay, if we want, I think a lot of people put a lot of effort into thinking, what kind of, what kind of friends do I have? How can I find good friends? But yet they're not thinking about being a good friend to others. And so it's just, you know, really influence our kids. But I try to let them see me being a good friend to others. I try to talk, talk up my friends, especially if they're friends with a child, you know, but just brag on my friend and not let jealousy get in the way or something that might have made me envious 10 years ago to really celebrate that strength in a person, but really just influencing them. Like I want them to talk about their friends that way. If their friend's going through a hard time, I want them to go drop off cookies or drop off a casserole or something. So I I think that this just, as they get older, the power of observation is so important. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I think about now, even as I look back on my my mom and dad, and it's like, I think in my forties, I'm really realizing like, gosh, all the ways they shaped me that I didn't even realize, but just what I was observing in their life. Yes. Yes. And um, I don't know if you read that book, Atomic Habits, but I'm I'm reading it right now. Yeah. And he said something the other day, and I might get the numbers wrong, but basically it was talking about how humans learn through the senses or five senses. Mm -hmm. But he said like, there's like 11 million neurons or something, but 10 million of them are related to vision. So the number one way that we learn is through our vision, what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And that just really made it fascinating. It seems like if you want to eat apples, don't put donuts on your countertop, put apples on your countertop. <laughs> like let that be the visual you see. Right, right. But I think in parenting, it's the same thing, like model what you want them to be like, you know, to just, mm-hmm. and of course we're all going to mess up, but just influencing them that way. And it might not click right now, but it might be five or 10 years from now that they're going to remember what you once did or how you handled a certain situation. And it's going to impact the way that they handled their situation. Yeah, no, I completely agree. What I see is power struggle. Power struggle is really detrimental to you, to your teen for so many reasons. And I I see that in my office and I just 
oh, it's just horrible. And a huge reason for that is if you are in a power struggle and you're trying to control your kid, they don't learn how to manage their life. Right. right. And even the littlest of ways, like how they study or eating habits. And so if you control everything and then you send them to college and they have no self-management skills, it's just not going to be good. Right. It's so true. You do. You realize how important those habits are. (laughs) Yes. 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 All right. Well, I could talk to you forever, but we have to start winding this down. Do you have any last sage advice for our moms? You know, probably my biggest piece of advice is just to practice self-kindness and to just lower your expectations of yourself and know Mm -hmm. that you are doing amazing. And I think if somebody is listening to this podcast in the first place and they've followed us here until the end, then they're a great mom because that shows their heart for their child. And I mean, I I worry most about the kids whose parents who aren't trying to to learn and to get better and to be a better parent. But, you know, our kids are all going to go through hard things, but I truly believe they can get through anything if they've got you know, somebody that loves them, that's willing to walk through it with them and that's willing to grow alongside with them. So I think that any mom that's listening to this is already ahead of the curve and and doing great. And just to kind of pat yourself on the back for that. Awesome. So where can these moms find you or contact you or buy your new book, More Than a Mom? Well, I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook under Carrie Kampakis. And then Facebook is Carrie Kampakis Writer. And then um, this book and my other books are available everywhere books are sold. So they can find those there. And then I've also got a website, carriekampakis.com, where I have links to my podcast, the Girl Mom Podcast, and also to blog posts where I write a lot about moms raising daughters and parenting and people can access that there. That's great. You have wonderful resources for people. So thank thank you you so much, Carrie. Thank you. I enjoyed it as always. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere, You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.